following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Some ask that I share very briefly some of my background. Just over 40 years ago, I took my first church in Woodbridge, Virginia. I've ministered my entire life in this city, whether it be street preaching in Georgetown or managing a coffee house in Georgetown called The Gate. But I took my first church, it was just over 40 years ago, after graduating from seminary with a Masters of Divinity. I gave my best sermon. In fact, it was all written out. I stood and greeted the people. I greeted the people at the door afterward. And everyone was congratulating me on a a wonderful sermon, Pastor. You know, the the fawning that goes on sometimes over a pastor, especially when it's his first sermon. And this old man with a bald head came by. And he took my hand in both of his hands. And he said, Pastor, and there were tears in his eyes. Would you tell us? about Jesus I was speechless because I didn't know very much about Jesus I knew everything they taught me in seminary but they never taught me about Jesus in the seminary it was a cemetery for me I learned how to study I learned how to be scholarly but I didn't learn about Jesus And that began a quest in my life to learn about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus tonight. A bit more about my background and then I want to quickly move into the word. My pastor was David Wilkerson from the Times Square Church. A precious, precious brother that took me under his wing. Many times he would call me and say, Ray, would you please drive to Manhattan? We need to spend some time and talk with each other. I miss him desperately. I wish I could talk with him like I used to. He was a godly man who did not put up with any nonsense. He was all about Jesus. I learned a lot from him about Jesus. Just the way he lived. The holiness of his life. I want to talk to you about Jesus. But I want to say some things as I begin... So that you'll understand what I'm really trying to say. Almost every sermon in America is man-centered today. The message is we've missed out on a great blessing. God has a plan for your life. He loves you. And so would you come and would you accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? That whole message has failed in America. 
Because as sinners have heard that Jesus loves them, as they have heard that they should accept Jesus, they said, okay, we'll add Jesus to our already full and wonderful life. And so we've got Wegmans and we've got Starbucks and we've got L.A. Fitness and we've got. And now we'll add the church to that. And thank you. We'll enjoy our life. It's a wonderful life. (laughs) The problem is. The gospel in the scripture is not man centered. It's Jesus centered. It's God-centered. And the requirement then is that we begin to look to a totally different kind of message. The message begins with God and his glory. And it tells us that we have offended the holy God of heaven. That he will not just pass by our sin. That he's come to set us free as an act of grace and mercy. But there's no cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer very clearly outlined in his book on discipleship. The only hope of salvation that you have or that I have is to be found in the grace and the power of Almighty God to, by faith... Set us free. Otherwise, we will be bound in our sin and we will add to our full life this wonderful Jesus who leaves us in the midst of our sin. So that as one woman said, I'm living with a man who is not my Husband, I'm married to someone else, but God understands and and God loves me and and I'm 90% good. And so I'm good to go. God will make up the difference in my life. Well, no, he won't. She's going to have to leave that illicit relationship. She's going to have to let the Holy Spirit clean up her mess. She's going to have to let the Holy Spirit come in by the power of the blood of Jesus and wash and cleanse her. Look, if the gospel is not that Jesus will release us and set us free and make us into new creatures, what is the gospel? If the gospel merely is that I will say that I will accept Jesus... It's a bad news. It's not a gospel. It's not good news. The good news is that God, in his glorious mercy, sent Jesus to die on Calvary. That by faith, I can be transformed into a new person. There's a story in the scripture that I want to use as an illustration. We could use many different stories that would say the same thing. But I challenge you to begin reading again the New Testament and ask yourself the question, is this man-centered or God-centered? 
You see, the question is not, will I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior? The question is, will God accept me? And the only basis he has for accepting me is the precious blood of Jesus that sets me free, that transforms me, that makes me into a new creature. So when the world looks at the Christian, they should see a person who is utterly different than they are. One man said to me, I don't talk much about Christianity at work. I want them to see that I'm different than they are. And so my life is my testimony. I said to him, has anyone ever asked you about your life? No. Has anyone ever come to Jesus because of your life? No. Is it possible that you're so much like them they can't tell the difference? He was uncomfortable with that question. Focus on the family. Did some careful research. And Barna research has also seen this. That there's no measurable difference between the Christians of America and those who call themselves pagan who are unchurched. They spend their money on the same things. They go to the same places on vacation. They watch the same television shows. They do all this the same things, except among those who call themselves Christians, there's a slightly higher incidence of divorce. To me, that's a tragedy. So I want to show you an example of Jesus bringing the gospel to a man. And I've gone back in the last weeks and read every encounter of Jesus with a sinner man. To say, how did he approach that sinner man? What did he say? Because I can tell you tonight, he's approaching us the same way he approached every other sinner. And if you're a saint tonight, meaning you're not walking in any known rebellion against the Most High God. There's only one way you became that person. And that's because Jesus came and did something in your life. Magnificent. Salvation is a supernatural act of God. It's not something I earn. It's not something I do. It's something God does in me with my permission and my cooperation. We find in the book of Mark, the 10th chapter. Now, while he was going out on a road, that is verse 17. Now, while he was going out. On the road. After one having run up and having knelt down before him, he was asking him, Good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? This man wanted to know, What do I need to do to go to heaven? I can't think of a more important question. What must I do to go to heaven? He did not wait like Nicodemus did for a private 
closed conversation with Jesus. He ignored the crowds. He just ran to Jesus. Now, we would say today that was an ideal candidate to be given the four steps. And he would quickly say, yes, I'll accept you, Jesus. That's not what happened here. The first thing Jesus says to him, why are you calling me good? No one is good except one, the God. He opens the conversation with a rebuke. Why? Because the man is coming, not considering the holiness of God, not considering that he has violated the holiness of God. He is coming with a personal, man-centered agenda that says, okay, what do I have to add to my hit list that I can be acceptable before God? And Jesus rebukes him. He stops him in his tracks. And he says, look, you're not even ready to begin talking about coming into salvation. We've got to first talk about who God is. We've got to talk about who you have offended by your sin. And of course the answer, no one is good except one, God. He's the one you've offended. It's almost as though this young man has a, a list of all the things that he's done But there's still a dis-ease in his heart that says, I'm still incomplete. Now, most of the people that I talk with about Jesus, and most of the people I meet who call themselves Christians, are constantly struggling to overcome some aspect of their life. And I say to people all the time, are you clean with Jesus? Or is there something between your heart and the heart of Jesus? 99% of the people will say to me, no, there are issues that I'm having to struggle with that I know I'm not right with Jesus. I don't believe the life of the Christian was ever meant to be a life of constant struggle. Yes, the devil's going to bring every kind of attack against us he can bring. He's going to tempt us in every way he can tempt us. But I believe there should be a tie between our heart and the heart of God that lets us walk in peace and joy and victory. If that joy and peace and victory are not in our heart, we're still struggling humanistically. We're still struggling with trying to overcome by works. And we're not living by faith. It is so easy to slip into legalism. I've slipped into that. Where I've tried so desperately, could I just overcome this sin? Have you ever been to the carnival or the fair and played whack-a-mole? You know, where you've got this machine where 
these little prairie dogs pop up and you've got a club and you hit them and try to keep every one of them down. That reminds me of how some people deal with their sin. Okay, I've got to whack down this sin. Then I've got to whack down that sin. And now I'm struggling with this. And and this pops up. The devil makes sure that if you put down one sin, another one will jump up. So whack-a-mole goes. That's not the gospel of Jesus. That whack-a-mole stuff is legalism. I want to show you what I mean as we move forward. Look with me at Mark 10. Jesus said to him, verse 18, Why are you calling me good? No one is good except the one, God. You know the commandment. Now what does he begin to do? He begins to search this man's heart with the law. Now you know in the new covenant. The law is to be written on our hearts. Amen. And when we're doing our own will. In the new covenant we're doing the law. Because it's been put in us by the Holy Spirit. It's been written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That was the promise in Ezekiel. It was the promise in Micah. Always the new covenant is the law of God written on our hearts. You know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You may not murder. You must not steal. You must not bear false witness. You must not defraud. You must honor your father and your mother. And having answered, he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. This man has no concept of the true meaning of the law. And Jesus is searching his heart. Now he could have stopped and he could have said, Have you lusted in your heart toward a woman? And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, If you've done that, you've already committed adultery. Or if you're bitter and angry with your brother, you've already murdered him. So he begins to search this man's heart. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is Jesus? He's God. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Am I good theology? Amen. Good preaching. God is in the flesh incarnate. And he now brings the law he spoke from Mount Sinai. And he begins to search this man's heart. I heard Pastor Dan say on Sunday, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, same God. We're told in Hebrews, the first chapter, we're told in Colossians, the first chapter, we're told in 1 John that it was Jesus who spoke the world into existence. This is who we're dealing with, but he's in the flesh. So no one recognizes him. But he begins to search this man's heart with the law. And this man 
in his arrogance, in his shallowness, says, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Well, what he's kept is his good religion. But his good religion has not brought peace into his heart. And so the Lord is now trying to rend open this man's heart so he can recognize his sin before a holy God. Now, have any of you been taught to witness to sinners this way? I wasn't taught this way. I was taught friendship evangelism. Yes. I was taught evangelism explosion from Coral Ridge. Yes. I wasn't taught to open the conversation with a rebuke. I was taught to say Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. Will you accept him? And when the sinner hears that, he settles back and he says, hey, I can have the world and I can have Jesus. This is an awesome deal. But God comes and he begins to witness. And he begins with the law. Have you noticed the Apostle Paul opens the book of Romans, the classic book of Christian faith. And almost immediately he begins by saying the wrath of God is coming upon you. And he goes on for almost two chapters dealing with the wrath of God. You see, if we don't acknowledge who we've offended, how can we make peace with him? We can't. Teacher, all these things I kept from my youth. Then Jesus, having looked at him, loved him. You know, I don't know if I would have the courage... To talk about Jesus. If I didn't know the bottom line. Was that he loved me. And so he's not bringing the law to be a legalist. He's not bringing the law to punish. He's bringing the law to say look. Will you let me rip away the facade of your self-righteousness. And your religion. And will you get honest with me about the true condition of your heart. Will you look with me at the reality of where you are in the spirit realm. For those of us who worship God. He said to the woman at the well must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, you must go and sell all you have and you must give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He just used the 10th commandment against coveting and has pierced this man's heart and has rent away the falseness and showed this man the reality of his love for money that is far beyond his love for God. 
And now he is faced with a very tough decision. Will he leave the idol of his heart? Will he leave the idol of his heart and follow Jesus? Or will he walk away? John Wesley always said, salvation can only come to a man through a crisis. And that crisis is when we begin to understand the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and begin to understand that he is not playing games, that he is not going to be flexible regarding the issue of sin. He has zero tolerance for sin. What is sin? Harmatia? Or lawlessness? Another word for sin? Meaning being casual about it. Knowing what is right but not being willing to do it. Have you ever been judgmental and spoken words to someone that you wish you could take back? Because you are exposed and you know your sin, but you blew it off and you didn't go back and repent. You didn't make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what Jesus said. Were you rude and crude and said things you shouldn't have said, but you've never made it right before a holy God? All that we do and all that we say is before Jesus, the God of heaven and earth. And so we have to begin to come to terms and let Jesus search our hearts to unmask the true condition of our heart. And unfold for us how we have violated his holiness and his will. Now, if we don't do that. We'll be very religious people and we can sing songs of praise and worship and then we can go out and live like the devil. We can go out and yell at the kids. We can go out and yell at the wife. We can go out and maneuver illegally or unethically at the job. We can do whatever we need to do to get ahead. And we can satisfy our heart that we're just doing what we need to do. But when our heart has been uncovered in the presence of a holy God. We can no longer knock down one sin at a time. Because he's asking for everything. He's asking us to surrender everything to him. He's asking, will you let me take total charge of your life? Will you give up your pride? Will you give up your arrogance? Will you give up your religion? Will you give up your traditions? Will you give up everything for me? That's what Jesus comes and says to us. He even wants the good things. See, it was the knowledge of the tree of good And evil. Jesus wants it all. And so he searches this man's heart. With the law. And then he says to him. 
And this part breaks my heart. You must come. You must follow me, having taken up the cross. Here's a man, a young man, who is invited to become a disciple. I suspect he would have taken Judas's place. He's invited to come and literally become a disciple of Jesus, an apostle. And he turns and walks away. He walks away sorrowfully. And Jesus lets him go. Jesus will not force any of us to leave our sin. He will not force us to follow him. But if we are simply shallow, walking according to something we've been taught, not spending hours reading this word, not spending time praying, not spending time fasting. These are the traditional disciplines of the Christian church. Fasting, prayer, corporate prayer, the giving of tithes and offerings, giving to the poor. These are the classic means by which a man or woman in the body of Christ has been brought closer and closer into the heart of Jesus. And if you're casual and laid back and you're about your own life and your own deal and your food and your clothing and your vacations and your, your money and your life, you've missed out on what Jesus is calling you to. He's calling you to lay your life down, to take up your cross. There's only one reason a man would take up his cross and follow Jesus. Where was Jesus headed when he said that? Golgotha. Take up your cross and be crucified with me. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who dwells in me. See, I don't want to come to you tonight and talk sentimentally about Jesus, even though I do have to tell you I love him with all my heart. There is no one I've ever met like Jesus. He is the kindest, most dignified man of honor I've ever had the opportunity to meet. There is no one like him. And he has so many times come and comforted my soul. But that's after the law has been applied to our life. And we begin to recognize that we've lived our life for ourselves, And added Jesus to it. And he will not allow us to do that. He calls for total, complete giving up of our pride, of all arrogance, of all, may I use this word, flintiness. Do you know what I, is that a word? Flintiness? Like granite. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
That part inside of our soul that says, I am not going to surrender to Jesus in that way. I'll be friends with him, but I'm going to keep my own life. I have someone that I'm witnessing to. She was raised in a Christian family. She's now a lesbian. And I keep saying to her, God wants you. Jesus is calling you. And he wants to change your life. He wants to clean you up and get you ready to go to heaven. And she says, I am not going to surrender to Jesus. Whoa. I admire her honesty. At least she knows she's not going to surrender to Jesus. I believe she is because I can see in her face the sharp sticks of the Holy Spirit are poking her. And she is uncomfortable in her wickedness. I expect to see her sitting up front with my wife one night. We're praying for her. We're loving her. But we're confronting her with her sin. You see, when we begin to talk about the gospel of Jesus, most of the time, and I will confess, I have done this at times, we let the congregation off easy. Now, I'm supposed to open a little gate now and say, you know, but God understands. You've done your best. Are you kidding me? What is doing my best? I've never done my best in my life. I was taught you could always do better. But you know what? I'm not going to be saved by doing my best. Jesus did his best on the cross at Calvary. He died there for me and for you. And he wants to know. As he said to the Apostle Paul on that Damascus road. He said to Ananias, actually, I'm going to tell Paul what he must suffer for my kingdom. Can you imagine talking to a pagan and saying, look, God wants you. But before you say yes, I better tell you how much you're going to suffer if you say yes. (laughs) But I have to come and say that to you tonight. It means literally a total lifestyle change if you are just a lukewarm Christian. And I don't know if you are or not because I don't know you. I hope to, but I don't know you yet. But I tell you, there's a place of hiding in the heart of Jesus where we would be willing to give up All of our money, all of our time, all of our energy because he is so glorious and he is so awesome and he's so filled with power and authority and he wants to bring us under his wing. How often he said, did I want to gather under my wing like a chicken gathering her chicks? But it means we've got to let the law of God do its work in our heart. And we've got to come to terms with our nastiness, our selfishness, 
our independence. It means coming to terms with the drugs, if there be such in your life. It means no more stealing, no more cursing. It means turning aside from everything of darkness and coming out into the light. Are you willing to do that? Are you living tonight in any known sin or rebellion in your heart? Where you have said no to Jesus or you have ignored the Holy Spirit as he has spoken to you. And you know that if Jesus came up to you tonight. He would begin with a rebuke. Like he did this rich young ruler. Revival. First sign of revival is conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's what Jesus said in John 16 when he said, I will send my Holy Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues, although that's a very true sign of Holy Spirit power and presence. But it's not the true sign. The true sign is conviction of sin. And a decision to begin anew. To get serious with Jesus. About the way I live my life. The way I spend my time. The way I spend my money. To stop grieving the Holy Spirit. By hours spent in front of a television. To stop grieving the Holy Spirit by being casual and focused on worldly things instead of on Jesus and the way of salvation. Means we stop talking so much and begin listening. Listening to our wife or to our husband. Listening to the people around us, but most especially listening to the Holy Spirit. And saying, yes, Lord, I see where I've messed up and I see where I'm out of line with what you called me to. But I'm not going to walk in condemnation. I'm going to repent. All repent means is change my mind. I'm not going to do that anymore. By the power of the blood of Jesus, I won't go there anymore. I won't live that way. Jesus, come and change my heart. See, all righteousness comes by faith in Jesus. It's a gift of grace. Grace is defined in Titus as the divine influence of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I know you're here tonight because you were called by the Holy Spirit. This rich young ruler came because the Holy Spirit was calling him. He walked away. I don't want you to walk away. If you know tonight 
that there are areas of your life where you are not right with Jesus, tonight's the night to get right. Mighty God of heaven, I ask tonight that you would move in this house with just the handful of us that are present, with your power, with your conviction. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, it's wider 
Passing by faith I've received from above Oh glory, my soul is made perfect in love My prayer has prevailed And this moment I know The blood is applied I am whiter cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. at WAVA 780. The gospel is that Jesus by his blood will forgive your sin and set you free of all sin right now. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless 